everyone, Olivia Newton-John here, and I just wanted to wish Stephen Spears a very happy 15th anniversary for his podcast, Stuck in the 80s. Well done, Stephen. Here's to another 15. Travel back in time to the 80s, reliving the pop culture. I want my MTV. I want my MTV. The lingo. 30 inches of thigh slapping, blood pumping, nuclear brain damage. And the love. Casey, could you please play... Waiting for a girl like you. Because just like you, we're stuck in the 80s. Can you say stuck in the 80s? Hey, hey, welcome to Stuck in the 80s. It's your host, Steve Spears. And Brad in Hollywood. And today we go to a place where nobody dared to go. It's our tribute to Xanadu. Stuck in the 80s is now listener-supported via Patreon. This means you, listener. You could be that listener. You can find out more at patreon.com slash stuck in the 80s podcast. You can find our podcast on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and via our website at www.sit80s.com. Hey, gang. You knew this moment was coming, right? Xanadu's having a 40th anniversary, and I've been singing ONJ's show tunes since I first met my future wife. And yet, many of you begged, you pleaded, please, no Xanadu show. But what are we doing today, Brad? Uh, let me guess. A Xanadu show? Xanadu. 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 Steve, joining us today, somebody who believes in the magic of roller skating, it's Jen with one N. Hi, guys. Yes, I do love roller skating, and... Well, we can get to the Xanadu shortly. <laughs> Is it true that you're roller skating right now while we record this? Man, I wish it was true. I wish it was true. I haven't put my roller skates on since they closed Happy Wheels uh, several months ago. Well, I mean, several, several months ago now. Who knows? Time is mud. Time is money. You said opium was money. Money is money. Well, then what is time again? <laughs> <laughs> it, it, the, the, the roller skating rink is really called Happy Wheels? It, it was, was. R.I.P. Happy Wheels. Wheels. Yeah, and it's so Did sad. They Wheels. It down yeah, to make a multi-level parking structure or something. So the last time I went was on my birthday, which was in November, because I knew it was closing, and I like made everyone come and and <laughs> go roller skating with me for my birthday. And I think it closed a few weeks after that. So it was it was in 2019, right at the end. <sighs> uh, you know. But I got to pretend roller skate. Imagine roller skate. While we watch this movie, so that was fun. It's kind of ironic that uh, your roller skating rink would close right about the time we're talking about Xanadu. Xanadu, was, of course, was a movie that was designed to capitalize on the roller disco movement of the late 70s. But what's the problem with that, Brad? When did Xanadu actually uh, hit theaters? Uh, 1980 is when Xanadu came out. By which time, Steve? Yeah. Roller skating and disco were pretty much over. So, yeah, so, but, well, good news is we didn't get the memo out in Western Oklahoma for quite a while. So I remember roller skating in the early eighties. <laughs> oh yeah. Same. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Here's what's really interesting. Xander's a movie was released on the most eighties date ever. August 8th, 1980, making it eight, eight, eighty. You love that? <laughs> That's pretty good. Would eight, eight, eighty eight not have been more eighties, Steve? Just to be the contrarian dickhead on the podcast. <laughs> also, Steve, you're wrong. You're ripping my car. Yeah. You dick. So today we're going to tell you a little bit about the movie, which you probably you think you know, but you don't know. We will have a conversation uh, that I had with two Xanadu experts, or as they like to call themselves, Xanadudes. 
That, that's not me and Brad, just oh, <laughs> FYI. That is, that is, that is weapons-grade dad pun level stuff there, Steve. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I, I'm really proud of that. Ken Anderson and Don Fields, and they're both members of the, yes, it truly exists, the Xanadu Preservation Society. Amazing. They'll talk to us about why the movie is both so rad and yet so bad. Oh, what the hell? Guys like me shouldn't dream anyway. We'll also have seggies, some listener emails, and we'll squeeze in lots of clips and fun music. It just might work. You think so? Might. If I planned it right. I see a stage over there, and stairs there, and there, and back there, and... Kid, can you imagine it? Imagine what? A bandstand right over there in that corner. And a big band like in the 40s. No, no, no. Bandstands went out with running boards. Over there. A great rock and roll band. This is the 80s. So is this the part where I'm supposed to try to summarize the plot of Xanadu? I'm going to give it a go. (laughs) Good luck. We'll wait. (laughs) Here we go. I've I've only had 40 years to work on this, but I, I think I got it down. A failing freelance artist named Sonny, played by Michael Beck, gives up on his dream of creating his own paintings and returns to the drudgery of replicating album covers that then hang outside record stores. Does anyone need a primer on what a record store is? Uh, Refer to the title of the podcast. (laughs) No. In his despair, a Greek muse played by Olivia Newton-John kisses him while he's out on lunch break, which happens to me all the time. Hence the whole kissed by a muse phenomenon. Uh, Sonny is instantly smitten. And then, of course, because that's the way things work in the world, he coincidentally runs into a retired musician from the 1940s big band era played by... Anyone? Anyone? Charles DeMar. (laughs) Gene Kelly. And together they uh, combine their dreams to open a music club in L.A. Thank you, Simone. No problem whatsoever. That pretty much summarizes it. I feel like you did everything you could yeah. with that. Yeah. It makes almost as much sense as described. Right. At some point during the movie, they get turned into fish, animated fish. Mm. And uh, I guess Sonny's dream of becoming a real artist never happens. Instead, he becomes a real estate broker. So, Yeah, basically, he's a developer, which, as we all know from our studies, is the path to riches in Los Angeles. So Sonny did all right. Yeah. Don't, don't cry yeah, for no, Sonny. He was okay. not a developer, though. He was a helper. And I'm not certain still how he helped. <laughs> There's some holes. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it doesn't. Maybe it doesn't hang together at all. Here's the most fundamental problem, and we already said it before. It's it was trying to capitalize on a movement that was already over. It was therefore rushed a little bit. It started out as only a 45 page treatment. It was never supposed to be a big production, but when Olivia Newton John joined the cast, they suddenly, you know. Suddenly, the stakes are a lot higher. She's a proven commodity. And, right. And so we're forced to basically, you know, record and write a movie at the same time, which, as we know from our history, rarely works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hadn't really thought about it that way, Steve, but you're right. The, I think they were counting on roller disco is going to carry the whole, like, you're going to overlook everything else because you get to watch all the skating and stuff. Yeah, yeah. But is so, there really that much skating in it? There's not that much skating. Okay, I cannot stay, stay silent any longer. <laughs> yeah, please. Back me up here, Jen. Okay, so I have not seen this movie in a very long time. And I just watched it yesterday, so it's quite fresh. And I was surprised at the, that, at the lack of roller skating in it. There should have been a lot more roller skating in it. And, that, you know, I understand that there wasn't a whole lot of story to work with. But because there wasn't a whole lot of story to work with... That gives you right. a lot of time to do some skating. <laughs> so, you know, like, hey, you know what? That's a great idea. I'll be right back. I have to skate to New Mexico. Right. More <laughs> skating. And the thing is, you mentioned roller disco, more roller disco, because there was a bunch of skating and a lot of it was like kind of just skating. You know? Right. Like I'm just on the strand in Venice. Right. Or I'm going to lift my leg half a foot off the ground and pretend to that it's a movie i just i was i was disappointed by the lack of skating and the lack of roller disco in particular what's ironic though in my mind is in a movie that's about roller skating you cast a man known for his dancing but he turns out to be the best roller skater he's so good oh my god he's so good 
I okay. So here's my favorite part of the movie, and I did not think this was going to be the case. Gene Kelly is the best thing about that movie. He real. I thought he was so charming and so handsome. And I don't know. Maybe Steve, you got some more background on this, but he seemed to be a good sport by virtue of just being in the movie, and he never had a scowl or anything. He seemed to be like I, I wouldn't go so far yeah. as to say having a good time, but he was like, I'm a professional. I'm in this this movie, and I'm just going to do what I'm asked to do. And he delivered like right. 110%. So I was like very compelled by Gene Kelly, which I was not expecting. You know, I used to be in the music business, but now I'm what you might call retired. It's a refined name for bum. Yeah, I took your money. I'm going to turn the light bulb all the way up. You're going to get, you know, capital G, Gene Kelly. Although I will say his lines, I'm like, well, and this is true of a lot of the script. They're saying things like they don't really understand why they're talking about them. Why don't you give it up? Always one of those turning points where you turn in the wrong direction. Where's the girl? The girl in the album. Yeah. Singer with a band. When she left, I figured she'd be back. And I was about to run after her, right? <laughs> Boy, did I teach her a lesson. Never saw her again. Yeah, it was consistent with the rest of the script, though. <laughs> In places, the script just—I'm like, what? Why would he do that? And I know that some of that is because of the, um, you know, the fact that it was not just being rewritten on the fly, but in some cases it sounds like it was being written on the fly. Exactly. Which is probably hard, you know, you know, newsflash for all you people out in the big wide world. They don't shoot movies sequentially usually, you know, they kind of do location at a time. So stuff kind of gets mishmashed together. And if they change the whole storyline by the time you get to the end, then when they go to interleave it all together, it doesn't make any sense. So throw Hmm. in some more roller skating. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. More roller skating would have helped this movie. I mean, the thing I think I said when we talked about this in the Razzie show this year was all the pieces are on the board. Unfortunately, the board is also mounted with like three inches of cocaine and they forgot to write a script. There's a lot to work with here. And I feel like they just, it, it, you know, kind of failed its promise. Well, it it was a movie that was constantly evolving. And I think it still kind of almost still evolves because we allow some, 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 um, room now for the fact that we know the whole background of it and so we we know now that gene kelly didn't even want to be in the movie he had to be talked into it and really the only reason he did it was because you know he lived in the neighborhood it wasn't much of a drive for him from the work each day <laughs> right and hey you know look don't don't underestimate the unwillingness to commute in la yeah the other thing that was unusual about him was he he did agree to come in the movie but on the condition that he not do any dancing so now you've got the greatest on-screen dancer refusing to dance. So it's only after he meets Kenny Ortega, mm. who we obviously know from so many, like from the Michael Jackson movie and from the High School Musical movies. Kenny Ortega was was this choreographer. He meets with him. The two of them hit it off, and now Gene Kelly will dance. And so there's one good, nice dancing scene with him and Olivia Newton-John. His dancing was nice. <laughs> Let's talk about that scene. Um, so, Olivia Newton-John was, am I remembering this correctly, was the muse that inspired him as well yes. years ago? And yet, he doesn't recognize her, doesn't seem to recognize her, or doesn't show that he recognizes her. Am I, is that what happened? Because I'm like waiting for a, oh, it's you kind of moment, and it never really came. No, it doesn't really come. And I think that's just one of those things you have to write off to being... <laughs> It is what it is. Maybe she looks different to him. I saw it differently. I think he did recognize her and like felt something for her, but couldn't understand why. So I think, I mean, I guess maybe muse rules is that whoever you musify <laughs> okay. or whatever, yeah, I'll buy that. They, they don't remember later once they've fulfilled their creative whatever. They're somehow enchanted and charmed right. by them. Yes. Only remember certain things. He, he recognizes her spirit, if not her face. So the conversation Ooh. we're having now, I feel like this is what was going on with the writers. They're just like, eh, yeah, I mean, so he remembers her, but then not really. Okay, let's move on to the next yeah, yeah. scene. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I feel like we'd be doing Kenny Ortega a disservice if we did not mention that he also, uh, in addition to helping Gene Kelly's career, he 
basically murdered Billy Squire's career by directing the Rock Me Tonight video. We could do a whole podcast on Rock Me Tonight and whether or not that video really killed his career, but it certainly gets the blame for it regardless. So It didn't help. It didn't help. <laughs> okay, Kenny, 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 in of- Kenny Ortega's defense, Dirty Dancing. Okay, move on. <laughs> you just put your pickle on everybody's plate, college boy, and leave the hard stuff to me. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got a good point. So yes, it has its troubles with, with shooting. It has its troubles with the director who had no history with this genre and did, in fact, even like musicals. So it, it had a lot against it. But I still think when I watch that it... That shows. Yeah. But I still think for some weird reason when I watch it today, I think I fall in love with it a little bit more every time I see it, which is weird. You'd think I would be kind of getting fatigued by now, but there's something about it. It has a sincerity and a sweetness that other movies at that time, those were two qualities that in 1979, 1980, nobody wanted any part of those qualities in a movie. You know, they wanted dark and gritty. They wanted the warriors, you know, they wanted Serpico. They didn't want, you know, Greek muses and neon and animated fish. (laughs) (laughs) But that's what we got. And, And somehow I, Somehow, I, that's why I still love it. So I watched this movie with my 10-year-old daughter, who claims we've been watching way too many movies. And I think because one of those movies was Karate Kid 3, I, I understand what she's saying. Oh, but, yeah, no. Yeah, that's not a good movie. But anyway, so so I offered her money to watch it with me <laughs> and, and give me her opinion. <laughs> What's and the going so, rate for a 10-year-old review? Well, I'll tell you, I offered her three. She countered with five. We met in the middle at four. So I owe her four bucks. Yeah. So she watched it. I think she enjoyed it. It was really funny. She she thought that Olivia Newton-John was so, so pretty. Like that was really, I I think Olivia Newton-John's prettiness and like flouncy outfits were it for for my 10 year old kid like she that i think that's what she what carried the day for her and it's funny because we you know we can talk a a little bit about some of the other scenes but she didn't love the last scene which we should talk about soon because i i I think it's wonderful and almost worth sitting through the entire movie to get to she didn't like it that much she liked the scene which i thought dragged of when they were in the nightclub imagining what it could be and gene kelly's giving his sort of envisioning the jazz era and and um and the tubes sunny michael beck right and sunny is giving his you know like what turns out to be the tubes (laughs) um but that that scene felt like it was half an hour and she loved it she loved every second of it actually that scene and the big scene at the end both seemed really long yeah some editing could have helped the one at the end the one at the end needed to be really long right for all the costume changes (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah Busby yeah, Berkeley yeah. does a lot not of do five-minute videos. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we have our problems with it, but there's the parts that we also love. That's why I wanted to talk to two experts about Xanadu. A couple weeks ago, I had a chance to interview Ken Anderson and Don Fields. Now, Ken runs a retro film blog called Dreams Are What La Cinema Is For, which is dedicated to movies that fuel the imagination. So you can sort of see why he would be such a Xanadu fan. And then Don Fields is the guy who runs the Xanadu Preservation Society website. So both of them will tell you that the the film suffers from a weak script and the misuse of talent, but um, they both still are in love with the message. And uh, this is how that conversation went down. Don Fields and Ken Anderson, welcome to Stuck in the 80s. Thank you. Oh, thank you very much. Can I, can I call you Xanadudes or would you prefer Museheads? <laughs> Either way works with me. Likewise, I don't have a preference. Um, let me start with you, Ken. Your retro film blog is called Dreams or What there? the Cinema is For. Yes. It's dedicated to movies that fuel the imagination. Where does Xanadu rank on the list of these films? Ooh, well, I guess that... Uh, it ranks as being the sort of the seminal kind of a film that couldn't experience uh, where somebody can experience, um, I don't know, dreaming, dreaming, the whole feeling about movies. Because one of the things that I try to focus on in my blog is that uh, movies are so personal and that ideas of good, bad and quality, they oftentimes are 
overridden by people's emotions, that you can watch a movie that's pretty terrible and still feel something very strongly about it. And that one's connection with what happens on the screen is, you know, just sort of an intimate one-on-one relationship with the film. Does Xanadu probably take the throne for one of the more um, dream aspiration movies of the 80s, do you think? I think so. More than, it, more than anything, I think that's the, th- the thing that Xanadu has. Because I think I look at a lot of the movies from that period that, you know, like say, the Blues Brothers or Can't Stop the Music or even Fame, which is sort of very much based in reality. But Xanadu, I think, has the quality of being maybe the last film that can get away with non-ironic innocence. And it feels mm-hmm. like one of those movies that believes in what it's talking about more so than Can't Stop the Music always struck me as being so commercial. Xanadu, for its pluses and its minuses, seems like it has its head in the right place, and it feels right that way. Yeah, and it's a very honest and sincere movie. And I think the level of sincerity in Xanadu kind of caught people off guard, really. <laughs> It was, you know, people say, well, it's bad enough with the music. No, music was better. But it wore its heart on a sleeve. And people weren't really used to that at that point because we were switching into a new decade and a new level of cynicism. And Xanadu was too sincere for a lot of people, and they just couldn't deal with it. Don, you've been running the Xanadu Preservation Society website since 1998. Um, Tell us about the society and how it got its start. It got it. It got its start from a good friend of mine, Otis Fodder, um, not his real name, I should say. Uh, <laughs> we have been friends since the early to mid '90s, and uh, he suggested that with my all the material I gathered over the years researching Xanadu and his technical know-how, he suggested that uh, we put together a Xanadu site, and it went on from there. It switched many addresses, and uh, now at this point, uh, I'm I pretty much taken over, and it's uh, kind of like a an outpost for Xanadu fans. That's what it really serves. And am I to understand from from rumor and innuendo that you recently participated in a 24 hour Xanadu marathon? I wouldn't say innuendo, but a, <laughs> an uh, endurance course. <laughs> um, well, here's a weird thing. Um, the station, I, Otis and I are both DJs in, in a internet station website, web net line or whatever, through WFMU.org, their website. And the station has this little tradition for decades of doing marathons, either for publicity or marathon or just for the living hell of it. So doing a marathon, anything remoted to this radio station, it's not, out, it's not, out of, it's not crazy. It makes sense. But um, it was, I had the material and I'd sent it to Otis just for the hell of it because uh, he wasn't running the website anymore, but he was still a Xanadu fan. So just for the hell of it, I took all of my, this mixtape collection of Xanadu and sent it to Otis so he can enjoy it. And somehow between me and Otis, the idea of a marathon came up. I suggest a 12-hour marathon, but Otis wanted to go full Monty on 24 hours. Mm-hmm. And the gentleman in charge of Sheena's Jungle Room, he calls himself Mr. Fabulous. Uh, he said, oh, he's not a big fan of Xanadu. So he kind of like clenched his teeth and says, all right, just do it, do it. Don't let me, don't drag me in the middle of it. And uh, yeah, we did 24 hours and uh, it was an endurance test of staying up. Don, what was your first experience with Xanadu like? Did you, did you see it in the theaters and what, what do you recall about that moment? Uh, let's see. I saw it on the Sunday of the opening weekend. Uh, I was talked into staying with my grandmother for that particular weekend, which was uh, within walking distance of Venice Beach and Santa Monica, by the way. And uh, I was so giddy seeing this movie. I actually walked from my grandmother's house to the United, uh, United Artists Theater in Marina del Rey, which is two miles, by the way. And what exactly I can tell you while I was watching that movie. I couldn't tell you because it, I, I was so broadsided by this. I couldn't remember <laughs> anything. I was in a daze. But I do know that, uh, I know two things. One, when the movie was over, I found my movie. I love this movie. And I saw it twice afterwards. Of course, in those days, they didn't, um, 
they didn't check your ID cards. They didn't have cattle prods between screenings. So I saw three di- three times in one day, and I was just like blown over. This was the most uh, had met my expectations and my hyperactive energy. So um, it just it just blew me away. And what, Ken, what about you? Uh, I saw it on the opening night. It played at the uh, Gorman's Chinese Theater in Hollywood, and I went in the evening. And I intentionally didn't look at the newspapers that day. But all that summer, I uh, I was sort of into musicals that summer because of, you know, Can't Stop the Music and Fame and, and the Blues Brothers. So all during the summer, I had been getting hyped up about Xanadu due to the advertising because the advertising was huge. Because I did like Olivia Newton-John in Greece. I didn't like the movie Greece, but I thought she was, you know, terrific. She'd put out her album since then, I think Totally Hot. And I was I was just like super crazy about her by that point. And then the advertising was off the chart for me because it was really super classy, Art Deco. And anyway, so by the time I went that night, I was over the moon before even entering. But there had this huge line around the theater. It was halfway around the block when I got there. And everybody, it seemed like there were a lot of people who must have been in the film because of the chatter was such. So after, anyway, seeing the movie, you can imagine that enormous theater, the big sound. And I had uh, made a point of not buying the album yet. So I only knew the songs that had been played on the radio. So I only knew Magic and All Over the World. So by the time that the song Xanadu came on, it's difficult to explain what it's like hearing that for the first time, seeing that, that sequence and whatnot. But similar to what Don's expressing, it was... It was strangely mind-blowing, and I wasn't a kid or a teenager or anything. I was 22 years old, and none of this should have made any sense to me, or I should have been more savvy to the fact that it was a really crappy film, but I absolutely loved it, and it, it did something to me. It really it changed the course of my life, as cornball as that sounds. But after seeing that movie, I've been studying film for three years, and I, I took my tuition money and started taking dance classes, and I just knew that I said I'd give myself a year, and what they were doing in that movie, I, I wanted to do. In 2002, Ken, the LA Times wrote a story about a Xanadu sing-along in LA. And, and part of that story was a, a large profile of yourself and your experience with the movie. But the other thing I, I, read, as I realized as I read that article was it, it tries to explain the movie. And <laughs> I think a lot of the writers who grew up outside the 80s have a trouble with that task. And I remember the writer of this story called Xanadu a number of things, including, quote, a kind of Wizard of Oz for the pre-Reagan era and, <laughs> and also, quote, the best musical comedy ever made. Do, mm. do, do you think, do either of you think that either of those descriptions comes even close to describing the movie? Well, well, if they said it was a musical comedy, I think that, that statement kind of misses the point. If, there, if Xanadu is a comedy, it's unintentional. Uh, people, I, I actually got into a couple of fights about uh, some guy who was on Facebook of all places, he got upset with me saying that Xanadu is campy. It's intentional campy. And he just like, uh, broke off. <laughs> he broke off friend for the friends thing on me. Um, I think that's, that's the, the irony look at Xanadu. It's campy. It's funny against its will. Um, I think that's the only line out of the whole description that, uh, I kind of disagree with, but you don't want to be that picky about it because, uh, you know, uh, Anything you put out there, everybody's going to have any wild, uh, far-reaching uh, points of view of whatever you put that put out there in public. So, uh, no, I don't think it's a comedy, but you have to respect that because the people, you know, people love it, people laugh at it, so you, you just roll with it. And do you yeah, think I, that's the same yeah. thing? I mean, do people have? Do you have? I mean, is it hard to explain the attraction of Xanadu? I think it's. Tr- I think that's true. I think it's a very hard film to contextualize because. I think maybe the closest is what the the reporter said about um, it being sort of a Wizard of Oz experience. I, I think it's I think it's a romance for me. The romance doesn't work. I think as a musical, it operates on a level of joy and a level of uh, feeling 
that hits everybody differently because I don't think the movie's particularly funny. The jokes all fall flat, but there's something almost like what Don said about the sincerity of it. But over the years, I found that when I look back at it, everything that works for me about that film is its sincerity and its sort of theme, because you'll look at that movie and you'll see more ethnic people than you'll see like in the average, what is the whole season of friends? You, you see more black people in this film. You see, <laughs> country music you get uh, a punk you get rock and roll you get uh, a little bit of disco there's such an amalgam and such a nice idea of let's say music bringing everybody together and i don't know there's i think that and similar to like a wizard of oz i think what the movie does is grab kids who see it young and it's not serious and it's maybe not even authentic human behavior, but there's something about the feel of it with the music and the, the theme about not giving up your dreams that really works. Don, some yeah. people have theories about why Xanadu was a movie that's so bad. It's good. And there was a lot of pre-production hurdles and, and they've been really well documented. I mean, to the point where you could, you could, you could write half an encyclopedia about, Xanadu and the hurdles it faced and, and the trivia that happened during it. Uh, the, the fact that the whole roller disco fad was coming to a close, p- perhaps faster than people thought it would. And oh, not, ha- yeah. yeah, not having a complete script when it started or what, what do you think were the, were the biggest obstacles or reasons that Xanadu wasn't a bigger hit? Well, based on what I, based on my research obsessively for the past 35 years, geez, Um, I feel feel like a Star Wars fan without the Star Wars. Um, I think what the biggest hurdle was the script. Um, And to, you know, make an abbreviation here, Universal bought Xanadu under the idea it was going to be a roller skate. I think the producer uh, called it a low-budget, no-star roller disco movie. Unfortunately, uh, Universal bought it as such, but when the deal was made and they got a production date at the height of disco, which was the summer of 1979, and it was supposed to come out in December of 1980, uh, Olivia Newton-John signed on. She read a treatment, and she agreed to sign on, and the producers were caught off guard. They didn't know what to do. They got... Uh, Olivia was still huge, especially a year after Greece, and they kind of like sealed their fate when they went after and got Gene Kelly. So they couldn't do a low-budget, no-star vehicle. They had to go back to the studio and tell them, we need this, we need that, because we got Olivia and Gene Kelly. We need a bigger budget. They had to make necessary adjustments to the script. Unfortunately, they really didn't have enough time to transition the full script fully. Because it was supposed to be disco, and when they went to the musical route, they had to eliminate as much disco as they can. But unfortunately, there were roller skates in the movie. There was cheesy special effects, and almost all, except for Blues Brothers, all the musicals were coming out immediately after Grease were almost all disco. So uh, the the problem with the problem with Xanadu is it's kind of like caught in a bear trap, tied in with uh, disco. And that's uh, Xanadu's biggest problem. It'll be, as far as I'm concerned, that's why I call Xanadu the disco movie with no disco in it. <laughs> that's fair enough. And that's going to be, it's going to be a part of that history right next to when the Esquire magazine did a one-word uh, review of the movie, and it was Xanadont. And that <laughs> title also, also has been following Xanadu forever. So I think that was the problem. It was tied too close to disco and you know, production problems based on the script. Ken, do you think that because Xanadu was such a, not a flop, but, you know, an underachiever, certainly. Yeah. I mean, it was certainly the end of Michael Beck's career in film. I think that was his last feature film. He did one more for Neil Hillman, not Hillman, but the director of uh, Smokey and the Bandit. He did a movie called Megaforce. Oh, that's yeah, Michael that. Beck was a co-star in that. So that was the next last movie he did. <laughs> it's, it's kind of tragic that, that I mean, because I mean, Olivia went on and did what? Two of a kind. Yeah. And then that was pretty much it for her too. Yeah. But that often happens with people. I think when they make, uh, you know, big films and uh, they crash, everybody, you know, there's a lot of collateral damage. And um, 
I know when Zan, one of the things I really remember, and, and maybe Don, you can uh, corroborate, is like it didn't flop a little bit. It flopped huge. And it was, because I think about the time from when I liked it and the way that you couldn't even speak about it to people without them looking at you like you were insane. And it wasn't until literally there was this uh, program, was a, uh, a theater group in 2001 that came out with Xanadu Live here in L.A. This yeah. group. Yes. And so until that show, it was the only time that I felt like, oh, my God, I can actually say I like Xanadu aloud. And that's 2000. That movie was like anathema for the longest time. People kept it off their resumes. You couldn't get people to talk. I mean, you couldn't get John to talk about it. Uh, even when I was doing that Xanadu thing at my gym, uh, I couldn't even get through to her people. They were saying make it about another movie or this is something that she doesn't you know really want to reference too much so no that movie flopped colossal and i think even the elo didn't deal with it until after the public rediscovered it and so it took everybody down with it it was like a big sinkhole <laughs> yeah i i went through a phase of xanadu unacceptance for a while <laughs> um yeah i know a lot of people were disappointed xanadu didn't it kind of broke even, but it didn't make the money everybody was hoping it would make. It will, they were hoping they would make Reese money or closest to it, and it did. And so that was a bitter pill to swallow for a lot of people. Now, despite the fact that it did collapse so colossally, what things are underappreciated about the movie today? Hmm. Uh, underappreciated? Well, that's a good question. Uh, I just look at the movie itself. It's spirit. Like I said, it's honesty. I think Ken and I talked a little bit about this in the interview. It was, it's sincerity, it's honesty. And if you block all the cynicism in out of your system, you probably would enjoy Xanadu, despite the technical speed bumps in it. And I think what's underappreciated is the production design. Yeah, I think the production design is outstanding. And you get a sense of like a lot of things being cut out, but the use of streamlined modern and art deco, it's, it's beautiful. And I think that the costumes and the Grecian uh, influence and whatnot, so that's one of the areas I think it's fantastic. Yeah, you don't want to fly your Xanadu flag too far without people <laughs> you know, sneezing on you. Well, you saw it. What, what do you think is underappreciated about it? The thing I think is most underappreciated about it is it gives you a good look at Gene Kelly. And here is a man who practically defined a genre of film decades before many of us were born. And Xanadu gives us a chance. If you didn't see those, if you didn't see Brigadoon or Singing in the Rain, Mm -hmm. you you at least got to see him with Xanadu. And and if what you saw you liked, which unless you're brain dead and you're missing a heart, (laughs) you did – you went back and you experienced some of those classic movies. So I think to, I think it's underappreciated for its its much overdue nod to the to dance movies and to Gene Kelly's career. Oh, that's yeah. brilliant. Yeah, that's well that's the curious thing about Xanadu. It went bold. It tried to cover as much post World War II culture as, as much as it could. Uh, music from the eight, music from the forties, that's Gene Kelly and the big band music that was in the movie and popular dance music from the 60s and early 70s, uh, uh, a level of optimism and culture during the 60s. So it did cover a lot. Gene Kelly may not have done a lot in the movie, but what little he did, you can tell he had a lot of grace in everything he did. Yeah. Yeah, yeah when, um, when he walks across the room with Michael Beck in that scene before the Whenever You're Away From Me number, you can tell he was just gliding over that carpet. You're getting old, boy. I'm getting old, babe. You wouldn't even know me now. But I know you. Yes, I certainly know you. And I remember everything. Oh, you know how I remember. You made me love you. Each, each of you, I, I will start with Ken. Do you have a favorite scene that you can watch over and over again? And part two, 
if you're daring enough, what scene would you edit out of the movie if you could? What great questions you come up with. Um, I, my, the thing I could look at over and over again is all over the world. That number was the one, the one number that evening that I first saw it that flipped me. Like I knew that whatever I was doing wasn't worthwhile if I couldn't be doing what those guys on the screen were doing. That number, there's something about it. By the time that uh, Gene Kelly appears on that uh, oversized uh, pinball machine, there's something about, I don't know, the, the, the visual of it and the sound, and it's very cinematic. That's the, that's the scene I could always look at. If there's anything I could edit out, the thing that drives me crazy about Xanadu is that they have Ren Woods. Do you know who that actress is? She's the black actress that works in, in the painting shop with Danny okay. or with Sonny, oh, yeah. right? Sure. And she was she was Dorothy in the traveling com- the touring company of the Wiz. This woman's got an incredible history in musical theater, and she has a voice to blow off the ceiling. How you would put her in a musical, and not give her a song, is it, it makes the top of my head come off. <laughs> also, there's another lady in in that group. Uh, she was in Godspell. Uh, I forget her character's name, but she's another member of that. A group of painters there and she's a good dancer and she has a great voice too don might know the names of these people but the fact that you have these talented people in a musical you got a lead guy who can't sing and i always feel that what makes me mad about xanadu is that it's a wonderful mu- a musical with incredible music but it doesn't seem like it respects musicals it's everything is so uh they, it plays in the background it's like they use its own incredible music as as background music too often that's fair enough don what, what's your favorite scene you can watch over and over again and what move, what scene would you take out me uh well after I would, I would have to side with ken on uh, all over the world that uh to me yeah. that, that that's peak xanadu that's one that just drop kicked me it says okay that's it i love this movie unquestionably um as far as editing out anything i can't <laughs> i wish they would take out the cameras in the movie um, <laughs> You mean when they catch him in the mirror? Well, I just found out last year somebody in the Facebook group found another camera crew. Uh, it was during the, um, oh, what was that? Full country. Full, the number full, they're all dressed up as sweaty rock and roll people. And there is a very quick shot of Olivia running towards the camera in the crowd. She, 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 she drops to her knees and gets back up and walks back to the opposite side of the, uh, the stage. If you look at the lower right hand of that shot, and it shows up twice, very quickly, you can actually see a camera crew, a cameraman and an assistant cameraman shooting <laughs> it. And I found out just last year, and that was a slap in the face for me. But <laughs> that was the only thing I would take out. But beyond that, um, you know, I got no complaints here, really. I'll tell you my answers just because I'm dying to tell you. Oh, cool. <laughs> um, for so, A lot of people don't like this scene, but I, for some reason, I can't stop watching. It's the don't walk away animated portion. Wow. That, that was added after the movie was complete because they had to use that song or they couldn't use any of them. Yeah. And then if there's something, there's that song just, it swirls around in my head just endlessly for some reason. Well, it doesn't hurt that I have the Xanadu soundtrack on CD in my car right now. So anytime I drive to get a <laughs> gallon of milk, I hear it. But, <laughs> but if, and if I had to, to do anything, I would tighten up the ending just a little bit. Like I, I love the, how it starts in the roller skating and they're singing Xanadu, but then when it zones out to the country music part, I just kind of, <laughs> I lose my patience a little bit and I'm just like <laughs> <laughs> My clutch is burning over here. I'm just like, I'm like, well, you know, can we just, you know, and when I, and I, and I admit when I watch it now, I, I watch the beginning of that. And then I fast forward through the, through the, the, uh, 
country western part and i oh gosh and i just I, I just i'm weird you know no no i love it that you love that animation part yeah nobody else does no <laughs> um <laughs> we we mentioned earlier that there was obviously a stage version of xanadu that opened on broadway in 27 um i, I gather you've both seen it i cu- curious what you thought don let's let's start with you uh, it was a really good, compact uh, production. It really was. It uh, it paid tribute to uh, the sincerity of it, it. Poked fun at the movie, but respectfully, and it paid tribute to the sincerity of the movie. I think some most people were put off a little bit about that, but I wasn't offended at all. Ken, what did you think of it? Yeah, I thought it was wonderful because. Uh, similar reasons. I, I like that it was respectful of it, but it understood that the movie really had a lot of problems and it was very unusual to see it, the story, give it a plot. It was, it was sort of eye opening. They expand uh, Danny McGuire's participation and, and give him some backstory and whatnot. So it's like the best of Xanadu, which is the music and the dancing and the milieu and all that, but it actually has a plot. So that was really great. Last question. I'm I'm sort of obsessed with the movie's ending. When Sonny says, I just want to talk to you, and he and O&J chat away as the credits roll, I'm curious, you know, obviously we don't know what they say to each other. I'm curious if if you could add the dialogue, what would you think those characters have said to each other? We'll, we'll start with Don. Um, I never gave, I'll be honest with you, I never played MST3K with Xanadu that far. Um, I never gave that ending much thought. It's probably, hi, how are you? Nothing spectacular, really. They're just reintroducing each other. Ken, what about you? I always sort of imagined that if you could hear it, it would have been a, maybe a word-for-word duplication of, you know, when uh, Danny meets Kira for the first time inside Xanadu? Yeah. Um, yeah. I would, he says, don't I know you? And she says all that. I would have... I would have had them say exactly the same thing. Hey guys, thanks for joining me for this chat about Xanadu. So thrilled that we could talk about it on its 40th anniversary and um, we'll be, we'll be Xanadudes together from here on out. Likewise. Suddenly, I don't need the answers, So there you go. Ken Anderson and Don Fields, the Xanadudes, tell us why they still love Xanadu 40 years later. I think it's interesting that I tried to get them to talk about the end of the movie a little bit, how it ends, and are we all cool with the way it ends? And I I feel like each one of us has a slightly different take on that. Jen? I loved, I'm not really sure what happens at the, like the very end as far as the plot goes, and it hardly matters. But I loved the like, culmination at the end right it's 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 you think of the end of greece or any um musical and it's that last scene that you're like it all sort of comes together and i don't know i, I love the skating i loved all her outfits i just it, it, i love gene kelly so smooth on his his wheels i thought it was a lot of fun and i and that song i'm sorry but i've been singing that all <laughs> the time now <laughs> as i do chores and like walk around the world that's that's uh it's in my head now for a while. I think I loved it. What did you think, Brad? We did a we did a show. I don't know when, some time ago. Bad movies with great soundtracks, and I don't know if we mentioned Xanadu, but the sound, <laughs> oh, the soundtrack to this eclipses the movie by you know by measure beyond measure. And I agree, the music is fantastic and really does make some of that last scene yeah. that much more fun. The movie itself, I, I think I'm in the place where I it just it feels like. Uh, you know how, um, Jen, when you really want to hit your kids hard, you'd say, I'm not angry. I'm disappointed. Right? Like, that's the rock you drop on their head from really high. And they're like, oh, that's, right, that's right. kind of where I am with this movie. I'm not I'm not mad at it. I just feel like there it could have been so much more. Again, Gene Kelly, I, I feel like he, like you say, he hit his spots. I think he did everything they asked him to do. He was amazing on roller skates. He was actually, I read someplace that he was angry that they didn't show him full body roller skating because then the way they shot it, it almost looks like they had a double doing some of the skating for him. And he was like, no, no, that was me. 
again, all the pieces are there. You've got Olivia Newton-John, who is stunning, sings like Radiant. a sings like an angel, mm-hmm. just fantastic. You've got Gene Kelly, who is just truly a legend for so many reasons, and you've got you know kind of up and comer. You've got this amazing soundtrack. I mean, it sounds right. like a home run, right? And it just the Somehow the pieces are less yeah. when they get it, mixed together. It's sad that it might be known best as a career killer movie because ONJ would do no more musicals after this. She actually only did one more movie, Two of a Kind, which was kind of a bust as well. Michael Beck went on to do just one more movie, and it wasn't even a big one. In fact, um, yeah. he once uh, remarked during an interview a few years ago, The Warriors opened a lot of doors in film for me, which Xanadu then closed. Oh, no. That's a great quote, though. <laughs> yeah. That being said, that being said, he's not bitter. In fact, he sent a video message to Xanadu fans uh, on the movie's 40th anniversary. And here's what he had to say. I want to say thank you, number one. Thank you so much for your support through the years. And uh, I really appreciate that you love this movie, love the work that Olivia and Gene Kelly and everyone else put into the making of it. And I want to wish each of you also in these uncertain times that we live in, these, these times where um, anxiety and, and maybe fear sometimes, you know, rule in our hearts. I want to speak peace to each one of you. I want to speak peace. And I want to encourage each of you to, you know, to follow the message of the movie's editor. To follow your dreams. Isn't that the main message? Follow your dreams. I think it's awful sweet of him to send that message when it's very clear that it it had a very negative impact on his career at that time. Yeah, so sweet. What a mature thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. 40 years will give you a little time to. I guess so. But, But I'm with you, Jen. I still think one of the great takeaways is that the music of this is just so incredible. Jeff Lynn with. Electric Light Orchestra, he hit like home run after home run after home run with this. Xanadu and Magic were both number one hits. Don't Walk Away, the the infamous animated fish scene <laughs> yeah, all over the world, <laughs> the, the fall. I mean, all of these songs are just fantastic. Go down. It's The ELO side of the soundtrack is on high rotation. I will admit I don't listen to the ONJ uh, side as much. That's fine. You, that's okay. you know what's funny? We, we talk about the animated fish scene a lot, and that has the song Don't Walk Away. That was a scene that was added after the movie had finished production. It turns out that Jeff Lynne had a clause in his contract that either the movie producers used every song that he wrote or they could use none of them. Wow. The one song they forgot to include was Don't Walk Away. So they're like, well, how can we work this into the movie without bringing the entire crew back? Like, well, we'll turn it into a cartoon. I just tell you something funny my daughter said she said she is so pretty even as a fish <laughs> uh, well <laughs> you know what animation studio worked on that scene it was uh, Don Bluth who at the time was really it sounded like their studio was already at 100% capacity I think he just left Disney and had started his own studio and they were busy working on Secret right. of Nim but they squoze this in you know kind of in the in the lunch okay, breaks. not to let 2020 intrude too much, but like, what if all the movies that were stopped by COVID 
mid production, just like went back and did the rest in cartoons and just <laughs> put some ELO songs in there. <laughs> oh right? my God. We could just that's do that. And everybody would understand, you know, we're. Wow. I think James Bond would really be improved with a little uh, ELO soundtrack action. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Why hasn't Jeff Lynne ever done a James Bond theme? It's funny, too, that upon the 40th anniversary happening, which was early August, the song Xanadu returned to the charts again. It, it was a top five hit on the Amazon Prime charts. So oh, the it's such a good song. Still it's it such is. a good song. It's so catchy. <laughs> so let me ask you each this. What is the enduring legacy of Xanadu? Uh, for me, it's the soundtrack. It starts and ends there. I, I can set the movie aside and just focus on the soundtrack. What about you, Jen? Um, yeah, not to be a copycat, but I'm going to say the same. And I do, did want to mention one thing that will that will never leave my brain, I feel, is the idea that painting gigantic copies of record covers is a job. Are you in the music business? What are you, a record producer, a sound engineer? No, I'm sort of a painter. You, you, you paint in the record business? Well, not exactly paint. What I do is uh, I duplicate record covers. <laughs> I make album covers bigger so you can hang them outside uh, record stores. Promotion. Sounds like an interesting job. Huh? Yeah, it sounds like you should take real long lunch hours. <laughs> you got it. I had to explain to my daughter what that job was. And she's like, people have that job. And I'm like, I have no idea if people... Not if that, anymore. <laughs> or, or if that was ever a job. <laughs> I, I, well, uh, yeah. I don't know how they created those, the ones that were outside Tower Records. I always just assumed they blew them up on a photostat. But yeah, wouldn't that some, some listener will tell us. Yeah. 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 Is, the, like is the record idea. painting an actual job? Because that seemed, <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll say far-fetched to me. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, but yeah, exactly. the music, the, the soundtrack, absolutely. I think that the message that to not give up on your dreams, which is what they're aiming for with this movie, I think is a good message that's easy to fall in love with, especially at our age when you're, you know, in your second half of your life, for, like it or not, and you start to evaluate, you know, what you dreamt about being when you were. 20 years old when you were a Sonny Malone and then you look at what you're doing right now. I, I, I sometimes think of the dreams I had and the goals I had when I was 20 years old. And I look at myself today and I say, like you suggested, I wouldn't be mad at myself. I would just be disappointed. Xanadu doesn't matter anymore. What do you mean? It doesn't matter. How could it not matter? This was our dream. Well, well, wasn't it? Dreams die. No, 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 not by themselves. We, we kill them. Now, if you give up, you'll be sitting on that rock 30 years from now, just like I was. I know how you feel, kid. I felt the same way once I did. That all being said, I think there's something about the idea of transforming your dream, taking it and maybe trading it in for a new one. And if that point had been made a little bit better in the movie we'd be talking about a beloved classic that shows every year on tv instead of once on a blue moon leave it to spearsy to take a roller disco movie and go dark on it but you know what never goes dark the It's time for I Want My Mystery TV theme song. You know the drill here. We'll play a snippet of a theme song from a 1980s. We're still talking about the 80s TV show? I think so. If you get it it right, you're uh, entered into the drawing for some swag. So uh, it's been a few weeks now since we did this, but let's, uh, let's stretch the brain out for a little bit and find out what was the last clip. That's Auto Man. Anyone here watch Auto Man? I didn't watch it. I did not, but I feel like from other answers I should have, because apparently it's like a Tron ripoff. Yeah. I don't know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Apparently it's a Tron ripoff. Ah. <laughs> that's that's exactly what we know about it. Uh, Brad, read some of the winners. Winners this week include Joseph Perdue, Lee in the UK, Jeremy in St. Pete, 
Brian Pond, Dave Delavert, Win from LACA, which I assume is Los Angeles, California. Yeah, the Dream Factory. John from LA Center, Kentucky, and Tom Corn in Austria, who writes. Why, that was the Desi Arnaz Jr. hit show, Automan. Hey, guys. As a seven-year-old long transplant to Austria, the homeland of the wine spritzer. Huh. I thought that was just where they sang while they, you know, played in the fields with Maria. Hearing Brad describe a spritzer as 7-Up and wine is a bit like recommending Pizza Hut to someone from Italy. <laughs> wine spritzers are a very popular drink at restaurants and cafes here. A regional favorite in the southeastern part of the country is three parts dry white wine, like a Pinot Grigio perhaps, to one part club soda, not 7-Up. Add a thin slice of lemon and a sprig of fresh mint to the drink. An excellent hot weather beverage that won't make you want to take a nap in an hour. God, that sounds delightful. I, yeah, I, I, yeah, I mean, look, I, I'm just telling you what I know, okay? Look, in Western <laughs> Oklahoma, we don't have your fancy club soda. <laughs> Another great summer German drink that reduces alcohol content is beer and lemonade, called a Radler. You guys familiar with that? Yes. I am familiar with oh, that, yes. so good. So good, yeah. He says, yes, it sounds odd, but they are amazing after doing something outdoors on a hot day that's worked up your thirst. You can find them more and more in the States in stores that carry a diverse selection of craft beers, also known as snotty liquor stores. Cheers, fellas. <laughs> Tom Korn in Austria. That's Sorry, nice. Tom. I editorialized the hell out of your letter, but it was fun. And point taken. <laughs> we do that sometimes. Uh, Jen, you're here. Why don't you spin the wheel and let's find out who can take home a postal-friendly bottle opener. All right. Very good. You've been, you've been doing your at-home workouts, I see. Oh, yeah. Zumba. Z-O-O-M-B-A. <laughs> oh, I see Ooh. what you did there. Nice. Very nice. <laughs> Looks like it's going to land on Wynn from L.A., California. Wynn, send us your postal address, and we will send you a postal-friendly bottle opener. In the meantime, pay attention. Here's this week's Mystery TV theme song. If you know it, email us at podcast at sit80s.com and tune in soon to find out if you're a winner. We'll be right back after this commercial break. Hi, Jeffrey. How'd you find me? Easy. I just followed your notes. Guess I'm a loose-leaf loser, huh? You need a me trapper keeper. It comes with trapper folders that trap papers in so they don't fall out. I've got a trapper for every subject, and the trapper keeper holds them all. Neat. Really neat, with this Velcro closure and this tough Duracell construction. The trapper and trapper keeper from Mead. Whoa. Think Mead makes a locker-sized trapper keeper? We're back. We have a few minutes left. I thought, let's reincarnate our old friend. What's your 80s obsession? Jen, what's your 80s obsession? Well, I only have two. <laughs> <laughs> Light but, week at the Jen with one N household. <laughs> but I'll be very quick. Um, so I found on Spotify the other day, because I was getting tired of my playlists and just tired of just trying to make decisions. So I found Bananarama Radio. And it was wonderful. It had bangles and eurythmics and yaz. And then one I haven't thought of in a long time, time Bronski beat. So Banana Ram Radio, highly recommend. Uh, so that I, I'm, I'm listening to that all the time. Every time I get in the car, that's what I choose. And then the other thing is 80s movies at the drive-in because there aren't a whole heck of a lot of new movies coming out these days. So our drive-in has been showing a lot of 80s stuff. The last one. You have a drive-in. We have a drive. We have two drive-ins. Oh, I mean, they're like I burn. I burn with envy. Yeah, it's pretty wonderful. And so the last one we saw as a family was ET, even though we'd already shown our daughter ET. But tonight we're going to see Ferris Bueller's Day Off, which she has never seen, and <gasps> I'm so excited. Oh, that's so great! Yeah. Oh, so yeah. I'm really excited about that. I follow our drive-in on on Facebook, and every time they're like posting a new event, I'm like checking <laughs> what is it can i go is it an 80s movie i love that's fantastic yeah. that's really fun what a, what a cool memory totally oh, i'm 
I'm excited for you in advance. Thank you. Oh, and I, I, I brought uh, Reese's Pieces when we went to CET. <laughs> of course you did. Brad, what is your 80s obsession? Well, this is more of an 80s obsession that will no longer be an obsession, but I had been chasing after the movie After Hours. I don't know what it was that caused it to come to mind, maybe in the last three months. I may have mentioned it on the show. But I finally sat down and watched it with, I basically made Katie watch it with me last night, which was probably not a great idea. Um, it's it's a movie that's got some pedigree. I mean, it's a Scorsese picture. I just remember it as being this kind of wacky, like from danger to danger, like how's this guy, almost like the Odyssey, although it's all in one night. So the guy's just trying to get home and there's just obstacle after obstacle after obstacle. It was not as good as I remembered. That's a shame. I'm moving on from that obsession. <laughs> That's good. My obsession is Cobra Kai, which is now on Netflix. I th- I, we had a whole show about it a year or so ago when it was on YouTube. Re- YouTube right, TV. When the first season came out. Yeah, yeah. We, did, and, we, and we should put, post that again. I bet people would be into <laughs> so it. So good. That was a that was a fun that was a fun show to do it. So we, uh, me and the future wife have watched all of season one now. So we're ready to dive into season two, and. It's just I still think it's just as good as I remember it the first time. Nice short snappy shows that are like 20 25 minutes and then boop on you know yeah. on to the next, on to the next, on to the next. So it's it's yeah. been a fun I haven't seen season 2 either, so I don't think season 3 I think they're still working on season 3. Yeah, so. I haven't watched season 2. I it's kind of waiting. When I saw it was coming to Netflix, I'm like, okay, I'm not going to mess with the like oh i'll subscribe for a month and cancel my subscription like i did with the first season but what was so delightful about the first season was they the characters came back and they just took all of the characterizations and shook them up in a bag and just pulled them out and assigned them to different people and it was just it was so fun to see that and I it was logical it. I though like there, w- there was in yeah. the origin story like there was there was um uh, grounding for all of it which was really fun yeah yeah, they tied it together in a way that you're like, not only, yeah, exactly. Not only is it really fun, but it all hangs together. Right, of course, Unlike he you, sells Xanadu. cars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? of course, he uses the karate chop on the billboard. Of course, he gives away a free bonsai tree with every purchase. <laughs> Before we wrap it up here, I do want to take a quick second to thank all of our new patrons on Patreon. We really do appreciate each and every one of you. It is very humbling to Steve and I. This week, our new patrons are Pam Pamela Greenfield, Mark Basenoke Kennelly, Chris Cooling, Brian Pawn, Chris, sorry, no last name, just Chris, Eric Scott, Richard Lovey, Melissa Gorman, Diana Jablonski, Tim Kelly, Marie Mueller, and Mike Wally Walters. Thanks, guys. It really does mean a lot. Uh, you can go and check it out at patreon.com slash stuck in the 80s podcast. Hey, that's all the time we have for this week. I hope everyone takes a chance to go and check out Xanadu again. Let us know what you think. Send us an email. We'll read them on the air. We have some new ideas for some seggies coming up soon. But until that happens, at least Jen and myself, we're still stuck at the roller skating rink and still, along with Brad, hopelessly stuck in the 80s. You doing okay, kid? Yeah, I'm all right. Have a little something to cheer you up. No, no, thanks. Uh, Miss, uh, would you bring my friend a drink? Wait a minute. Yes? I mean, I'd just like to talk to you. Stuck in the 80s is now on Patreon. If you'd like to support the show, go to patreon.com slash stuck in the 80s podcast. Special thanks to Check Battery Daily for our theme music, and thanks for listening. Hey gang, you knew this moment was going to happen. Hey gang, you knew this movie would... (laughs) (laughs) Go, 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 take three, go, go. The words are written right in front of me, yet still.